Good evening. The, mil- the military orders mandatory vaccination by September. More violence between right-wingers and anti-fascists in Portland. And 815, a story of survival after the atomic bomb. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, August 9th, 2021. According to a report released Monday, the United Nations has called a code red for humanity. Linda Mearns, a senior climate scientist at the U.S. National Center for Atmospheric Research, who co-wrote the report, says it's just guaranteed that it's going to get worse, adding that there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. The authoritative Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report calls climate change clearly human-caused and unequivocal and an established fact. In three possible scenarios, the world will also likely exceed 2 degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit over pre-industrial times with far worse heat waves, droughts, and flood-inducing downpours. For example, the kind of heat wave that used to happen only once every 50 years now happens once a decade. And if the world warms another degree Celsius or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, we'll see regions of the world bake twice every seven years. The report ends with some hope. If the world reaches net zero human-caused carbon dioxide emissions by mid-century, some of the most dire impacts could be forestalled. In November, the United Kingdom will host the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, Scotland, to further the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. And members of the United States military will be required to get the COVID-19 vaccine beginning next month under a plan laid out by the Pentagon today and endorsed by President Joe Biden. In memos distributed to all troops, top Pentagon leaders said the vaccine is a necessary step to maintain military readiness. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the mid-September deadline could be accelerated if the vaccine receives final FDA approval or infection rates continue to rise. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. He will request approval from the president for a waiver to make the COVID vaccines mandatory by mid-September. He'll make the request for the waiver by mid-September. I've seen some reporting out there that that means that all the troops have to be vaccinated by mid-September. That's not accurate. He'll make the request by mid-September unless or until FDA licensure occurs before that time, at which point the secretary has the authority he needs upon FDA licensure to make whatever vaccine is then given that license mandatory. The secretary says we're going to watch the trends closely. We're seeing an uptick in cases, uptick in hospitalizations across the force, as we are in the country. And the Delta variant is a factor in that. So we're going to watch it closely. And as the secretary told the force today, if he needs to move sooner than this timeline, then he'll do that. So we're going to watch the trends and make sure that we're keeping readiness of the force at the forefront. And Austin's plan provides time for the FDA to give final approval to the Pfizer vaccine, which is expected early next month. Without that formal approval, Austin needs a waiver from Biden to make the shots mandatory. And Biden has already made clear he supports the move. Kirby says the Pentagon has enough vaccine on hand to do the job, but he was asked if soldiers resist. What will be the punishment? Once the vaccines are mandatory and if a member Uh, were to refuse after it became an order, a lawful order. I'm not going to speculate and get into hypotheticals right now. You saw in the secretary's memo of today that he has full confidence that service leadership and commanders are going to implement the new vaccination program with professionalism, skill and with compassion. And I think I'd leave it leave it at that for now. 
Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. The Navy said that more than 74 percent of all active duty and reserve sailors have been vaccinated with at least one shot. The Air Force, meanwhile, said more more than 65 percent of its active duty and 60 percent of its reserve forces are at least partially vaccinated. And the number for the Army, by far the largest service, appears to be closer to 50 percent. The decision will add the COVID-19 vaccine to a list of other inoculations that service members are already required to get. Depending on their location around the world, service members can get as many as 17 different vaccines. And in more defense news, Pentagon spokesperson Kirby demurred on a question about an espionage scandal roiling South Korea. Arrest warrants were issued today for three suspects charged with acting upon orders of North Korean agents. The defendants are all South Korean citizens. They are part of a group opposing South Korea's purchase of F-35 stealth fighters from the United States. South Korean authorities allege under North Korean orders, the suspects gathered signatures against weapons acquisition in public spaces. Members of the group also held one-person demonstrations and organized a press conference to condemn Seoul's defense ministry. All three say they're innocent. In 2019, the South purchased 13 of the fighters and expects to have 40 of the pricey planes this year. They go for about $78 million apiece. Although they were originally supposed to sell for $50 million, it's considered a good deal in today's hot market for jet fighters. And members of the far-right Proud Boys group and anti-fascists clash in the streets of central Portland yesterday. Yo, go hit that car! Go hit that car! The opposing groups exchanged fireworks, paintball gunfire, and pepper spray. A member of the Proud Boys could be seen pointing a rifle at a person filming him on a crossroad. The clash happened at a religious rally organized by a controversial pastor known for his homophobic views. The Proud Boys were reportedly acting as security for the gathering. And today marks 76 years since the second atomic weapon to be used in warfare was dropped on the city of Nagasaki, Japan, killing tens of thousands in an instant. The plutonium-fueled bomb spread clouds of deadly radioactive dust and other kinds of fallout for miles around, sickening and killing thousands more from the radiation exposure. Dr. Akiko Mikamo is a child of Hiroshima, the city. Bombed three days earlier, her father, Shinzu, then a boy, was working on a rooftop less than a mile from the center of the blast. He was knocked 30 feet, terribly burned, but he managed to survive. Found later by his father, the rest of his family was gone. The film is based on a book about Shinzu's life and his path to forgiveness of those who gave the order and dropped the bomb. It's called 815, a story of survival and forgiveness from Hiroshima. Dr. Kiko Mikamo is a psychologist in California now. 
She joined us, though, from Japan, where she's at right now at the opening of the film. It's called 815, A Story of Survival and Forgiveness from Hiroshima. It opened in Hiroshima on August 6th, and its New York premiere is coming this fall. My father was 19 years old and underage in Japanese legal system, and he was on top of the roof of his house. And so he had nothing to shield him, 100% exposure to the heat and blast and radiation. That's what 815 yes. refers to. Yes, the time. the time of the explosion. He went through a terrible experience, and of course that's yes. the, the subject of the book and the movie. Mm -hmm. Without going through all the details, what, what happened? He lost all his family and job and house and everything, all the friends. So he became a war often by himself. And he had a very difficult time recovering physically and emotionally and socially. But uh, he made it through with the resiliency and also gratitude. He never held grudges against Americans or who dropped the bomb. He looked at things from the broader perspective and he raised me saying, it's wrong to hate Americans or blame America. It's not America that is to blame, be blamed. It's war. It's the humanity. It's the weakness of the human beings that are unwilling to look at the other perspectives and try to collaborate. Why not hold a grudge? His father rescued him, and his father had a very broad perspective. And it was during the war, and the many things, anything, unthinkable things can happen. It doesn't mean anything to hold a grudge and look him back. So he chose to look forward and free himself from the being, you know, slave to the victim's position. You are a psycho psychoanalyst or a psychologist? I am a medical psychologist, which is kind of like psychiatrist, yes. Practicing where you live now in California? Yes. Growing up in your household, what that was like for you and how you came to America and how you, as a psychologist, how the experiences you had growing up affects your life, your work? My Please. mother was also in the middle of the explosion. She was half a mile. And so both of them just miraculously survived. I have an elder sister who became disabled when she was a baby. Growing up, that to me, the diversity that people have had different experiences. So I have a very different view of the world than most Japanese people with the Japanese society have been traditionally very kind of a homogeneous and but for me everybody's different so when i went to the united states to pursue my doctoral studies my view and my experiences were very different and in my practice and talks and writing and production and everything that my strong belief and hope is to help people, individuals, really understand and look at themselves, including all the diverse qualities or disadvantages, and learn how to relate with the others and, you know, starting with the intimate relationships all the way to the international relationships, celebrating the differences and figuring out how to work together with the different beliefs. That's what boils down to in all my work. 
the atomic bomb was more than just a bomb, and it was discovered at first. I think they thought it was just a bomb, you know, just a bigger bomb、mm-hmm. than the ones they were、yes. already using on Japan. Before、yes. that, they soon discovered that it was something much more than just a bomb. It was. A,、mm-hmm. It is, as you said, different. Oh yes, it is very different from any other bombs because the effective radi- radiation you can't see it. The people who have no injuries and who have, are very healthy all of a sudden fall into illness. So the survivors have lived in this fear of it might be me tomorrow, even if they didn't have injuries for seventy some years already. I do have a strong feeling against nuclear weapons. But I don't have a feeling to against the person who flew the plane or the dropped the made it. It's it's different. It's a more systemic thing. We really need to look at the this nuclear threat that we want to live together on this planet for a long time. Then we need to do something that is urgent. Anything you like to add? Eight fifteen. Hiroshima from father to daughter. This is a very different format of film. It's documentary with the reenactment. It's in English. It's made in the United States with a Japanese Hiroshima dialect with English subtitles. It is very important for, especially younger generations, to watch or read my book, Eight Fifteen, to think about, learn what has happened under that. Mushroom clouds and how people could resiliently make it and learn, and but we need to learn from it. So that's that's what I would like to say. Dr. Akiko Mikamo is a psychologist in California who uses her experience to treat extreme trauma. She says she learned her trade from her father. The film is called Eight Fifteen, from father to daughter, based on a book of the same name. She joined us from southern Japan. And closer to home, protesters rallied outside Nassau County Executive Laura Curran's office in Mineola on Friday. They called on Curran to veto a newly passed bill, which would allow police officers to sue protesters who harass or injure them. Angela Palumbo reports. Law enforcement officers and first responders in Nassau County are seeking protections against demonstrators who say they violate their civil rights, but that's not how police reform advocates and activists see it. They see this new bill as a violation of their rights to protest. As far as I know, the police is supposed to work for us. How does somebody that works for you need protection from you? You're supposed to be protecting us. You're supposed to be working for the community. The bill was passed by a vote of 12 to 6. Civil rights attorney Frederick Brewington says the bill is a clear act of retaliation against Black Lives Matter. This is trying to shut down and dampen and chill the voices of those who would dissent and raise their voices against、uh, abuses by police. The bill states the legislator hereby determines that it shall be an unlawful, discriminatory practice to harass, menace, assault, or injure an individual due to such individual's status as a first responder, and that those who violate this provision be subject to a substantial civil penalty and as well as civil liability to the first responder. Activists say the discrimination of marginalized communities is not comparable to the voices of protesters to police who are on the job. They also say this is a direct violation of protesters' First Amendment rights. The question is whether Nassau County Executive Laura Curran will sign the bill, which protesters are asking her to veto. Curran released the following statement, saying, "I'm proud of the dedicated first responders who've made Nassau the safest county in America, and I will continue to stand against 
defunding the police. The county executive says she'll be making an inquiry to the attorney general's office to review and provide some advice. If signed into law, the penalty for discriminating against a cop in Nassau County would be up from $25,000 to $50,000 per violation. Angela Palumbo, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Angela. And finally, in the Albany soap opera, Democratic state lawmakers in the Assembly and State Senate today dismissed reports of a floated deal by allies of Governor Andrew Cuomo that would allow him to remain in office for the remainder of his term and avoid impeachment. Deputy Senate Majority Leader Mike Gennaris said, I don't think there would be any receptiveness to that kind of thing. I know they have not spoken to our leader, that's Andrea Stewart-Cousins, or to me or anyone officially on the Senate side. Gennaris called talk of the deal, the rumor of the day, and said it would likely be given little support within the state legislature. He said if it was to be real and was floated, it would not be received well. Speaker Carl Heasty at a news conference in Albany early in their day added such an agreement is not under consideration. I'm not negotiating deals, he said. And uh, the news is ending a little early today, so you can hear some very important information about the upcoming WBAI elections. We'll see you same time, 6 p.m. tomorrow. And that's some of the news for Monday, August 9th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.